Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, disorder, or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counseling, medical advice, or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Eric's insomnia journey began after he woke in the middle of the night and experienced a huge panic attack. From then on, sleep became very difficult. As he tried to fix things, Eric stopped watching TV in bed with his wife, something they both enjoyed. He tried napping, even though he never used to nap in the past. He tried sleeping on the couch. He tried sleeping in a chair. He tried blue light-blocking glasses. He stopped traveling. He isolated himself as he became convinced that his struggles were reflected in his appearance. He would beat himself up every time he had a difficult night. Eric's transformation began when he shifted his focus away from trying to control his sleep, his thoughts, and his feelings, and redirected his efforts toward his actions. He started to do more of the things that mattered, even after difficult nights, and even in the presence of difficult thoughts and feelings. He started to accept the presence of anxiety as a necessary ingredient for a rich and meaningful life. Eric found that the more he did this, the less power and influence sleep and anxiety seemed to have over his life. Eric was never into meditating, but he started to practice meditation, not in an attempt to make sleep happen or to control his thoughts and feelings, but to practice and develop skill in making space for his thoughts rather than trying to fight or avoid them. He also gave himself permission to do something else during the night when he was awake, rather than tossing and turning. Today, sleep doesn't consume Eric's attention. His focus now is on controlling his actions and doing things that matter, rather than trying to control his sleep and what he might be thinking or feeling. As a result, insomnia no longer holds Eric back. By practicing a new approach, Eric got his life back from insomnia. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, Eric, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. Absolutely glad to be here with you. Let's start right at the beginning. If you could just tell us a little bit about when your issues with sleep first began and what you think may have caused those initial issues with sleep? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question about like what caused them. Because I think if I would have known that, it would have helped out a lot. But I really uh, struggled with that answer as to why. Um, I know a couple of years ago, I had a couple of instances over the course of a year where I just was struggling. Like I would go two or three days and just not sleeping much at all. And it didn't really bother me too much at the time, but I've had a little bit of anxiety over the course of my life. And the more it started happening, the worse I started to respond to it. And then I had family over to my house during the holidays and I had a rough night of sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and I just was having like this huge panic attack. Like, I mean, my heart was racing. Uh, I remember waking my wife up saying, I, I, th I think I need to go to the hospital. Like I'm freaking out here. Everything is, yeah, it was really bad. And uh, from that night on, it, sleep began very, very difficult. And I think probably it added pressure to me because I had family staying at my house. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not sleeping. My days were starting to get really bad. And that just led into a night after night after night. I had a looming doctor's appointment as well coming up and I hadn't been to the doctors in 20 years and my wife was forcing me to go just to get my blood drawn and I'm terrified of needles. So that on top of everything else, it was just sleepless, sleepless nights. And that's where it really, really started getting hard for me. Were panic attacks something you'd dealt with in the past or was this just kind of it just appeared in the middle of the night out of the blue? Yeah. I mean, this was, I was 41 when this started happening, but when I was younger around 17, I had lost my mom when I was younger in my teenage years and she battled heart disease her whole life. So I had some panic attacks at that point in time, thinking that I was going to inherit those types of heart issues and anxiety can create some of those symptoms, like you're having some type of health issues. And so I did that for about I had it for issues for like six months at that point in time. And this was again, when I was 17 and then, but you know, but the doctor told me I was fine. So that all went away. Never had any issues, no panic attacks, no sleep issues, nothing like that, uh, leading up to this, this point in time. Some people can really pinpoint the initial trigger for their sleep disruption, which then morphed into this longer term struggle or issue yeah. with sleep disruption. And for other people, which it sounds like maybe is more aligned with what you're describing, it doesn't really seem to be this obvious trigger. And so I think it's yeah. really good to have both sides on both sides of that experience yeah. coming onto the podcast, because if we hear that people always can trace things back and there's a clear and obvious trigger, then we might think, well, there's something unique and unusual or vice yeah. versa. Um, but really the trigger itself, sometimes it can be obvious, sometimes not, but largely it's not that relevant if we find that the sleep disruption is sticking around for more than just a few nights. It's usually oh, then becomes <laughs> how we respond. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, we're talking about how we're responding to it. How did you respond to, to that sleep disruption when it first started to show up? Yeah. I mean, at, at first it was just the usual stuff. I mean, my wife and I always watch TV in bed. It was always a thing of ours. I'm like, okay, I, let me just stop doing that. Right. And again, this was when my family was there. 
I'm not a napper at all, and I never have been. I, uh, and I, I found myself, oh, I'm just going to lay down in the afternoon and try to get some rest so I could at least be okay while my family was there. But as when I would do that, I would just obviously not sleep in there while I was trying to nap, and that would just make me more frustrated. I didn't do a bunch more because I had that doctor's appointment coming up that I just talked to you about. And so I had tried those things, but now I'm going on like two weeks and I'm sleeping maybe a couple hours a night, if that, and I'm moving around. So now I'm, I'm trying to sleep on the couch. I'm trying to sleep in the chair. I'm not even sleeping in the bed anymore. And now at this point, my family's left and gone back to their home. And I'm still, now I'm really panicked. And so by the time I have my doctor's appointment, I mentioned to him that obviously I'm having these sleep issues. And so he, 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 he said, well, I'm going to get you sleeping. No, don't worry about it. I'll get you sleeping. And that's when I ended up uh, with another challenge, which was going down a, a path of medication and trying to solve the sleep that way. Back when all this was going on, the kind of the origin of the, of your experience, were there any characteristics of a typical night? What, what was an average night like when things were really difficult back then? Man, so I have I, I have a little issue with control, which I've obviously gotten better at because you have to learn that you, you can't control some things. And I've learned that sleep is one of those, but it took me a long, long time to figure that out. And so I would go to bed early. Like I'm going to bed at like eight o'clock at night and that is unusual for me. And I would typically toss and turn in there. Uh, I mean, for a very, very long time maybe three or four hours and then I would move out to the front room and lay on the recliner and try to sleep out there and do the same thing and I would have these moments where you're sleeping but you can you're not really sleeping you're like in between that's what most of my sleep was and that was a typical night every night and it it didn't get much better for for a very long time how about the days? What were the days like? Were you finding that it was also influencing the quality of your days or maybe oh, what yeah. you did each day? Oh yeah. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a, a, a big workout guy. I like, I like going to the gym. I, I stopped, I stopped doing that. I had a very responsible, uh, job. I, a couple hundred employees at the time and, uh, I still went to work, but I found myself shutting the door a lot to my office and I'm a guy that's always usually out in the, with my teams and, and I was not doing that a lot. I was isolating myself a bit and just trying to like, I didn't want folks to see what was happening with me. Cause I felt like everybody could see it on my face. Like, oh, he, he looks, cause I felt horrible. You just feel horrible. And so I would always think that, man, they're going to see right through me. So it absolutely affected my days. I stopped traveling, stopped traveling, isolated myself uh, with my family at my house, and I became terrified to go anywhere. I think it's really understandable why we end up doing all of these things. And you touched upon many of the reasons, right? We either we don't feel as capable or we feel like we need to get more rest in so we do less of the stuff that we would normally do. Yeah. Um, or we worry about what other people might think about us or what they might see in us. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to know, did, 
Did you ever ask anyone if it was noticeable? Like, could, could they tell that you'd had a difficult night? I always asked my wife, right? If she could, how do I look? I feel like I, I look horrible. I know I look horrible. She's like, you don't look any different at all. And what I found myself doing a lot is taking selfies. Like I, I'm never like, I was a selfie guy, but I would always take pictures of myself just to see what do I look like right now? What do I look like? What do I look like? And I still have those photos on my phone. At the time when I saw those photos, I was like, oh my gosh, I look like a wreck. But when I look at them today, I look completely fine. And so it was really just in my mind, I'd convinced myself that I must look the way I'm feeling. And so I made a lot of decisions based off of that. It's really interesting that you said that and you've got that, that record of it that you can now look back and actually see what you saw, but it's different to what yeah. you saw, if that makes sense. Like yeah, your interpretation no. of what you were seeing was different. And it's, it's a concern that a lot of people have discussed with me. I'm really concerned about like the circles under my eyes or my eyes look really tired. I don't want to look this way. What will other people think about me? And it's all totally understandable. And I think one thing that can help is just as you described, maybe it's not quite as noticeable as you suspect. Maybe what you're seeing might be different to what other people are seeing. Yeah. But also, can we control that? Can no. we control what we look like? I mean, maybe to a certain extent, you might want to put some lipstick on or something like that. Who knows? Or some yeah. eyeshadow. But you, but, you, um, but you look the way you look. Exactly. It's one of those yeah. things we can't really change. It's the only thing we can really control are our actions. So maybe right. we can be kind of kind to ourselves if we're feeling that we're not looking the greatest or not feeling the greatest then maybe do some of the stuff that matters to us even though yeah. we've got those big dark circles under our eyes and even though we might be thinking that other people might be judging us or making up stories about our appearance we can't control any of that stuff right we can only yeah. control what we do and I think maybe we'll explore that a little bit more as, as we continue to talk, but I just found it really interesting that you, you actually have that photographic evidence that you can now look back on and be like, wow, I, I can't really see any differences now, but back yeah. then it was real, right? You saw differences and that was like one of the concerns. Yeah. It's amazing what, it's amazing how your thoughts can really work against you in a way. I mean, you the mind is so powerful and. Your thoughts really can be your worst enemy or they can be your, your best asset. Right. And it's just a matter of how you engage with your thoughts is what I've, what I really learned over the last couple of years. And, and, uh, yeah, at that point in time, my thoughts were telling me that I must've looked horrible. Right. And so that's what I was believing. On the role of thoughts, I think that's a kind of good segue into talking a little bit more about the role they can have. Many people listening to this or struggling with insomnia are going to be able to identify that if only I could get rid of the anxiety or get rid of the worry or not feel so frustrated with all of this struggle, maybe I'd be able to sleep better. So then we focus on trying to get rid of all these thoughts and these feelings or challenging yeah. them or pushing them away when they show up. Can you tell us a little bit more about your own experience with all those kind of thoughts and feelings and with, did you find that they were making things more difficult? How did you initially try and fix that and reduce the influence of those thoughts and feelings? Yeah. I mean, they were really taking over. I listened to many of your podcasts when I was going through this and they really did help me out a lot. And I heard a lot of people talk about feelings and thoughts and 
they were absolutely in, in, in my worst way. I was for, for a period there where I was really beating myself up and, and just thinking about it constantly, constantly, constantly thinking about it, looking up stuff, which would just make it worse. And now it's all I'm thinking about every day, put me in a panic attack at night. I remember I, we had some email exchanges several times and I was telling you, how do I get this anxiety to go away? It just won't, it's the same thing. Eight, nine o'clock at night, bedtime's coming around. And like all of a sudden you think you're going to go have to like present in front of a thousand people. And of course you're not going to sleep that way. And then you try to control it even more. And I, I, I tried to control that by just going to bed. That's what I would do to, to deal with it. I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to go fight this right now. And uh, I don't care if I don't sleep. I'm just going to go lay down. That's what I did. And, and it, it, that's why I had a really hard time with some of the tactics was because I was just wanting to be in control. And so in order to deal with these slot thoughts, I would just go lay in bed and I'd lay there and toss and turn, have a miserable night and beat myself up all night about it. But at least I was in control and trying to deal with it that way. And they were very consuming though. It, it took, I mean, it literally I spent all day for, I don't know, a year probably thinking about it. You mentioned that when you find your mind was just going into overdrive, like about sleep and anything else that it wanted to go off and think about, you were just kind of like, right, I'm just going to go to bed now. So you just go off to bed. I'm guessing that then you'd be in bed and the kind of thoughts would still be churning around in your mind. Yep. So now you're in bed, so you can't get into bed again, right? What, how would you respond then to when all these thoughts started to reappear once you were in bed? Uh, I would wrestle with them all, uh, for a very, very long time. And instead of getting out of bed and, and uh, dealing with, with just being awake, I would just stay in bed and would drive me crazy because I'd get in bed and like, if I'm not sleeping in two minutes, I'm already thinking, well, there we go. I'm not going to sleep tonight. And then that just spiraled into stuff. And by that time, my wife's already sleeping because of course she sleeps like a baby, just like everyone who has insomnia. I use the person next to him sleeps like a baby. And uh, yeah, I would just stay in bed. And that was a very hard piece for me to, to start to deal with was removing myself. And what happened is I started to hate my bed. I hated it. I hated looking at it. I would go in the room and I'd find myself like giving it the side eye, like it was somebody I just did not like. And, uh, it just did not find it appealing at all. So it was a whole, like having to relearn that whole thing for me. How about we talk about that now? Like that, that relearning process or exploring a different approach. So you mentioned yeah. that a change in your approach when things started to get difficult was you'd go to bed earlier. You found yourself wrestling with your thoughts. You implied that you were staying in bed, whereas maybe an alternative option that was available could be getting out of bed. Curious to hear the the change in approach that you took and how what that experience was like. For me, because it, it sounds like from everybody that I've watched on these podcasts and and just the the different groups I've I've looked at, everyone's got a different thing that really hit home for them. And for me, it was the piece where you talked about like, don't change what your plans were the next day or are the next day. Right. So 
go live your life to the fullest. And when I did those things and I started to do those things, what happened is I, I started like being able to convince to myself that I was actually, my thoughts weren't right, that they were telling me that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a horrible day tomorrow because I'm not going to sleep. But then I found myself not having horrible days all the time and being able to enjoy myself. And so it was that piece. And then honestly, it was time. It was being able to uh, have a great couple of nights of sleep, maybe not have a great night that third night, maybe not that fourth night either, either but still living my life to the fullest. And, but then that fifth night, I would have a great night of sleep again. And then it just repeating that pattern over time, slowly it started convincing myself like sleep is not the end all be all. I mean, it's important, but it's really not the end all be all. Uh, you can absolutely live a great life and not have to be so concerned about your sleep. And over time and challenging my thought processes and challenging thoughts to just be what they are. And that's, they're simply a thought, right? They started to lose their power. I'm curious to hear when you had this suggestion of continuing to do things that matter or living your life as though the insomnia wasn't there or living your life, even though the insomnia is there, what that was like, because the reason I asked that is because some of us are really struggling. We can just be 100% convinced that, that we just can't, we just can't do either everything we have planned or some of the things we have planned or certain activities. And just the idea of doing some stuff, doing, following through with our plans or doing anything related to our plans, or even just getting out of the house can just feel like it's going to be impossible because yeah. we might have had two, three, four, five, six or more nights in a row, very, very little sleep. Yes. What, what was your experience like with that? Like, was, was this something that was a difficult change for you to make, or was it difficult to push yourself to, to stay active and do things that you had planned? It was. One of the hardest things, I mean, I say it as it's easy, but let me, let me just add that, uh, challenging those things up front at first was very, 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 very hard for me. I remember towards the end of, and I get to say the end, but towards the end of my insomnia days where I uh, was still really in the midst of it. I was living in Florida at the time and my daughter and family is in California and my daughter's getting married and I have not gone anywhere in two years now, right? Cause I've been dealing with this insomnia and I've really isolated myself and I know I have to fly to, I have to fly to California. I have to be out there for five days. I've got to walk my daughter down the aisle, all of these things. And, uh, I think I. I worried and freaked out about this and this trip for like six months from the day she told me, I was like, oh my gosh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I remember getting to California and with my family. And that first night we got here, I didn't sleep one minute, not one minute. And I was, you know, we're in a strange bed when I'm up all night, I'm telling my wife, oh my gosh, like this is going to be a wreck. And, uh, how am I going to do this? And, and the next day I just. Went throughout the day. My family was all with me and, and, and we're all together and challenged my, my, I forced myself to just 
be normal as much as possible. And you know what? That next night I slept. And that was a big milestone for me because I'm like, okay, wait a second. I thought I was never going to be able to sleep anywhere again, right? And granted, the first night was not very good, but the second night I slept really well. And then I'm like, I think I've got some going here. Uh, and then the next few nights, I, I I had some decent sleep, but not not complete sleep. But I was able to completely go to the wedding and have a great time, walk my daughter down the aisle. So everything I told myself for that six months was not true. And had I not gone, because believe me, there were times where I said, I'm just not going to go. I would have just reinforced everything that was not true. And I would have, it probably would not have gotten better for me, but because I decided to go face that, that thought and, and challenge it, that's what really helped me out. And that was a big breaking point for me. That was a big breakthrough. And then two months later, I sold my house in Florida and I moved to California. Still having some sleep issues, but I mean, selling your house, moving across country, all of that, that goes in, in with all that stresses and all that. Still, I, I started challenging everything. And the more I challenged it, the more I felt like I was letting go. There's so much powerful stuff there. I think maybe the key insight there is that we can still commit to actions regardless of what our brain might be telling us, what the thoughts yeah. that are showing up might be. So even though you had all those thoughts, all those doubts, all those worries, maybe all those anxieties or yeah. lack of confidence, I can't do this, I shouldn't do this, you went ahead and did it, even though your mind was just churning out all those different and very difficult thoughts, feelings, stories, emotions. Yeah. And I think when we have that experience of being able to recognize that we can still control our actions regardless of what our mind might be telling us. That yeah. can be really powerful to experience that we have thoughts and we have actions and our thoughts don't necessarily have to control our actions. That's something that we can still control no matter what our mind might be churning out. Yeah. And you know what else I was doing is, is I would have a night or two of bad, bad sleep or no sleep. And that would start to the whole thought, which you know is wrong, is I'm not, I'm never going to sleep again. I don't know how many times I told myself that over and over and over again. Uh, even if I would have a couple of good nights of sleep, the second I would have a bad night of sleep, I'm like, not going to sleep again. And for some reason, that was a very believable thought, even though I had been sleeping, you know, eventually you fall asleep. And, uh, when you really start believing it, and I, again, I think it has to do with time. And I say time, meaning that you're not trying to do anything to fix sleep. Like you're challenging it 100% on your own without anything there to help you. Because once you add a crutch, then you, you start thinking the crutch is what caused it. You have, for me, it was about, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go at it. And then I started learning over time. And that's what brought the anxiety down is you start telling your mind starts to learn that, Hey, this isn't right. You're, that's not, that thought is not correct. And so now, I mean, if I have a bad night of sleep now, which I still do, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Tomorrow I'm going to the gym. I'm working out like crazy and I'm, I'm going to, I know I'm going to sleep eventually. And I do. That's another one of those places where there can be that disconnect, right? So I just, or well, we just both talked about that disconnect between our thoughts and our actions. 
Another one can be there's often a disconnect between our thoughts and our experience. So our thoughts might be telling us something like, we're never going to sleep again, ever, which is really scary. Yeah. But our experience tells us that's never happened. We might have a thought that yeah. says, if I go into work after another night of no sleep, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to be homeless on the streets. Our experience tells us, well, that's not happened. I mean, that's not to say it won't necessarily happen. Nobody can predict the future with 100% accuracy. But often, this kind of stories our brain generates whilst it's working really hard to look out for us and protect yes. us and help us do what matters, there can be this kind of disconnect between what it's saying and what we know from experience to be maybe more accurate or more likely. Yeah, I'm not a big reader, but I, I found myself doing lots of reading on anxiety and, and, and things like that, just trying to educate myself on it. And there was one thing that really stuck with me, and that was, there was this phrase, initiate to generate, right? And that's what I, you started doing. Init you have to initiate a situation in which you are going to feel anxious about in order to generate new learnings behind it, right? So it was initiate to generate. So I started just saying to myself, I'm nervous right now to go do this. But then I said, well, I'll have to go do it because I can't generate any new experiences behind that thought until I do it. And I had done these, th I mean, I mean, I, I had anxiety about so many things because my anxiety took over at this point because I was starting to believe in all of these thoughts and I had to really relearn a lot of different things. And, and the only way you can really do that is to go out and challenge those thoughts and, and see that, uh, it's not all true. And, and by doing that, yeah, I was able to really, uh, get out of that dark spot I was in. I think another example of that whole thoughts versus experience, similar to what you were just describing, I think that's another reason why we can so easily get stuck, just trying so hard to make sleep happen or to wrestle with our thoughts and our feelings. We get tangled up in that struggle and our yeah. experience is telling us this isn't working. This has been going on for a long time. We're not really getting where we want to go. Yep. But our mind is telling us, well, I'm a little bit out of ideas here. Maybe you don't hear that part, but the brain's out of ideas. So That's it right. kind of says, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing and we'll just try harder. So we'll just try even harder to get rid of these thoughts, these feelings. We'll try even harder to make sleep happen. We'll try even harder to get rid of that wakefulness. So that's just another one of those kind of disconnects, right? So we can be yeah. convinced that we just need to keep doing what we're doing. Maybe something will change, but our experience on the other hand is telling us, well, look, there's nothing's been changing up to this point, but it can be really hard because they, our thoughts can be so convincing, right? And oh, they can yeah. just seem like they're a hundred percent true. They're complete facts. And we, we trust our brains, right? We recognize that the brain has been with us our whole lives generally does a good job of steering us in the direction we want to go. So when we get these thoughts that are scary, worrying, big obstacles to the life we want to live, we can just assume that they're 100% true 100% of the time. And that's just another one of those areas where we can get a little bit tripped up. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it snowballs. I mean, you, you, can, you start worrying about sleep and, and, and that can really get your fight or flight 
activated, right? And and now that transfers over to other things in your life. And now all of a sudden your anxiety is just running on superpower and at no fault of your own, right? It's just, it's just, that's what happens. And you're, and then it's, your mind can really be, become a little bit addicted, unfortunately, to worry. And you can find yourself just doing it more and more and more and sleep could have been the cause of that initially or maybe that was the effect of of you worrying about other things i don't know but either way um you know that whole thought process is is a game changer um you know and and, and being and it's helped me in other parts of my life that uh would give me anxiety before now i'm i just i don't engage with those thoughts like i used to Going back to that that experiment that you said that you were doing, I've forgotten the phrase. You, it was initiate, initiate to, to generate, <laughs> initiate to generate. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that. Did you find that maybe whilst you were engaged in those experiments, that it reminded you or made you more aware of the fact that when we do things that matter to us even not completely unrelated to sleep, but just when we're doing things that matter to us, things that are important, often some difficult stuff will come with that. So for example, off the top of my head, just the idea of walking a daughter down the aisle. Oh, what if I trip? I'm going to feel some anxiety, maybe some worry. Um, or if I want to advance my career, I have to do a job interview. So I get the butterflies, I get the anxieties. When you were engaged in that experiment, was that something that you noticed too? Did it reinforce this idea um, that in order to do things that matter, we have to make a little bit of space for some of that difficult stuff too? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I still do that today. <laughs> I mean, I, I with my job, I uh, do a lot of presenting. And uh, even today, I, I tell myself uh, for an hour before I'm getting on camera, it's like, oh my gosh. All of these things can go wrong. And I've done this my entire life with, with having to do that. But now it's, it's not so powerful. It's still there and the thoughts are there. I mean, I don't push them away or, or try to ignore them, but I just don't engage completely with them anymore. Now I, I've learned that those things could possibly happen. Yes, they, they absolutely could possibly happen, but. Does that mean they're going to happen? No. And that, that's the difference. Not saying they're not going, not trying to remove them completely by saying, yeah, those can't have it. Yeah, everything can happen, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Like the worst case scenario type of thing. Oh, 100%. I just asked yeah. you uh, describing that to me. I, I can just use this discussion that we're recording right now. So an hour or so before, even earlier in the day today, I'm thinking, right, everything I've got to get ready for this discussion with you, right? Yep. And then my brain is like, what if the batteries run out on this light that you've got up here? What if the power goes out? If there's a power outage? What if yeah. the trains all start going by? What if I completely freeze up and I forget all the questions that I plan to answer? What if I get a cough? What if I lose my voice? All of this stuff is going yeah. through my mind, right? Yeah. And when for the first few podcast episodes a few years ago, they would feel way more powerful than they do oh, now yeah. because I didn't have that experience to support that I can still do this even when the brain's churning. 
That's right. barreling along at a million miles an hour. But even to this day, with years of experience doing this, I'm still getting those thoughts. But the difference now is, I, I think it's a skill. I've got more skill in acknowledging them and being able to just know from experience that, yeah. all right, this is my brain looking out for me. Thanks, brain. You're just right. keeping me better prepared for what I'm about to do and just maybe keep me a little bit sharper, maybe. But it's not something that kind of hooks me, jerks me around and makes it impossible for me to act anymore. It's something that yeah. happens. I can still do these things when that when my brain is doing all of the things it chooses to do. Yeah, because your mind just wants to, it's just trying to protect you, right? It's trying to protect you from an embarrassing moment or from failure. And unfortunately, we all are really scared of failing these days. I mean, it's just what we're brought up with, right? But don't fail. And uh, so, yeah, everything that you're doing, you're, you, you convince yourself of that. But you're right. You have to go put yourself in those situations, or at least I did. I had to really put myself in situations that challenged what my thoughts were. And it was the hardest thing ever. And it didn't always feel good. And, and I think that's the key. Like sometimes you'll go do it. You, you won't want to do something, but you'll go do it anyways. And, and sometimes it just doesn't feel good while you're doing it. But when, when you're done doing it, even though it didn't feel good, it's still another learning experience. Like I didn't die. It wasn't the end of the world. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest of times, but it wasn't the worst of times. It wasn't the end of the world. And so just making sure you go and do those things is extremely important. And it really helped me out with my, my sleep. I think sometimes it can be helpful to just maybe ask ourselves what the alternative is to whatever we're doing. So if we feel like what we're doing now isn't getting us where we want to be, is there an alternative approach? So for example, if we're calling sick to work on a lot of days, if we're canceling plans, we might just ask ourselves, is there an alternative here that we can yeah. even just experiment with? If we're spending a lot of our time battling with our thoughts, trying to push them away when they arrive, wrestling with them, is there an alternative here? Yeah. Because sometimes you... Just like you touched upon when you said, I would just do things. I would still do things, even after difficult nights, even when those difficult thoughts and feelings turned up. Because if we don't do that, what is the alternative in that example? It's doing less of the things that matter. And when we do less of the things that matter, we tend not to get to where we want to be or where we want to go. That's right. Yeah. And then usually you're, you're sitting in your house obsessing over what's going on in the first place. You're not even allowing your mind to, to go somewhere else, right? Or experiencing something else. And that obsession can really become your life. And it certainly was my life for a good period of time. You've talked about how you would experiment with actually seeking out some difficult thoughts and feelings, just to practice, almost like an exposure therapy, <laughs> but basically yeah. by just complete, just allowing yourself to experience it. Maybe moving away from thoughts directly influencing your behavior, being able to practice taking a step back when your thoughts might be saying one thing, taking a step back and then deciding how to respond to them. Was there anything else that in your experience was helpful in terms of letting go of that struggle with the thoughts and the feelings that tend to show up 
either when you're awake during the night or when your brain starts to think all about sleep and the upcoming night during the day. Really, for me, it was it was really that piece that we've already touched on, which is just trying to challenge the next day. And, and I really needed to convince myself that um, this wasn't true because I tried everything. Um, you know, I was staying up later. I was getting up in the middle of the night and, uh, I was even trying to be physically active and all those types of things, but I wasn't doing it to the extent that I wanted to. And it really, the game changer for me was, was challenging it and allowing time and not influencing it, trying to do something to, to influence sleep. That was the biggest thing. I was always trying to do something to, to improve on it. And, um, I touched on the medication piece. I, I had, I don't know how many times things I tried, but I had, uh, returned a bag of medication to the pharmacy and I have never taken medication in my whole life ever, ever. I'm like an anti-medication guy and, uh, not to say that it's not a good thing for some folks, but for me, it just wasn't the answer, but I had a bag like that of different medications that I had been prescribed over the course of this year and a half through different doctors, because I had seen therapists and, and primary care physicians and all of these things. And, um, the answer was that, but, you know, as always, anything you try, maybe it doesn't work, maybe it doesn't, but if it does work, it's not going to work for long for me, right? It would work a couple of days, a month at the most, and then it wasn't. And then, so I had to, this medication thing along the road with me for a year and a half. And then I finally said enough is enough and uh, I needed to do this on my own. And so I, I just let everything go. I, I, I stopped trying to use medication as a supplement. I stopped everything, which was not easy. It was very, very hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, trying to, trying to get rid of all of that. But uh, I did. And when I faced it on my own and I just let it run its course and just live my life the way I, I knew I wanted to do it and challenged my thoughts and, and I challenged them with my actions. That's what really changed it for me. It sounds like your approach to the medication, you just recognized this was something that it was important to you not to take medication if it could be avoided. So did you just make that decision? Like, I'm just not going to go, go down this route. This isn't a path I'm going to take anymore. I'm just going to stop. It was like a cold turkey or I'm not even going to go on it. Or was it like a tapering process? I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about that. I had tried both. I had tried, I had tried tapering for a while and I found that it was just prolonging my experience and I wanted to just be at my core and deal with this on my own at the time. And so I'm, I'm not a religious guy very much either. I mean, but I have gone to church before. And so I went to church one day and I was sitting in there all by myself because it was in the middle of the afternoon and I was at a breaking point and, and I was breaking down obviously in church and by myself and. I, I, whether it was a sign or not, but I just asked myself and I was speaking out loud and, and just said, what, what should I do? And, uh, you know, I, I remember thinking about, should I just give up on all this stuff and, and let it go and, and feel comfortable? And the bells ring. I mean, it happened to be the time the bells ring anyways. 
but it was a sign to me. And, and from that day on, I, I went home and I told my wife, I said, I'm done with this. And again, one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through in my life, trying to get, get away from that. But it was absolutely for me, the right thing to do, because I knew that I needed to be able to approach my sleep without anything or any help. And it was making it more difficult. Did I'm just curious, did your doctor give you any kind of suggestions? Did you talk to them about this is a kind of route, this is something I want to get away from? Did they offer you any suggestions on a useful way forward for that? Tapering's the safest way to do it. And that's always going to be the medical recommendation. But for me, you know, it was, I was in such a bad place when I was on the medication and it was the same when I was tapering and I'm like, this can't, this is so bad. I can't do this for six more months. And that's what I was thinking about. Like, this is going to be a six month taper and I, I'm not going to be able to do this. And, and so I just, I knew it was going to be very hard. I knew it was going to cause some hardships, just letting go of it. But I did. And I remember that day and, uh, it was hard. It was very hard. And they recommended all kinds of things like go do yoga, uh, practice meditation. So I did start meditating, which, which did help. I, I got an app on my phone and I had never been a guy or meditating type of person. I would totally have said that that's for the birds before, but it helped a lot because when you're just sitting there, I, that's where I really learned that thoughts are thoughts. Cause my mind, when you close your eyes and you just by yourself, your, your mind takes over and then you can really recognize thought patterns and just let them be and not engage with them. And the better and more practice you, you do, uh, the better you get at just letting things go. And so I guess meditation did help in a way. I, I really don't do it as much as I used to, but it does help with thought patterns. What was the medication that you were taking at the time? Oh man. I mean, I took all kinds of stuff. I took, I took a clonopin, which is a, a benzo, right? And I took that for a while. The other medications I was on were more anxiety-driven medications. So the doctor was trying to help my anxiety go away, but all of the anxiety medications that I was trying were making my anxiety worse. And because uh, I wasn't handling what was causing my anxiety. And so I took 20 different anxiety medications over the course of a year, which I would not recommend. But yeah, I tried uh, hydroxyzine. That was something they prescribed to me at first, which is just like a Benadryl type of thing. That was for sleep. And then uh, the clonopin was later. I, I didn't take a, that for very long, but all of these things I, I had to get off of. And then I ended up taking mirtazapine, which is a older anxiety medication, which also can help for sleep. And so that was another one that I was taking at the end there, but I just let them all go. And I remember the doctor that I had who had prescribed those, she, she was saying, uh, look, if you're not going to, if you're not going to do what I'm telling you to do, like, we just can't see each other anymore. And I said, no, I guess we're done because I just was not going to take the medication. And that was what her only answer was. It's been great listening to you describe your change in your approach to the wakefulness and the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it and doing things that matter. And a lot of that is when we're awake, it's daytime, lots of distractions available to us. 
How does that translate to changing your approach at night? Because fewer distractions, right? At night, we tend to be more alone, less social, less of a social environment, fewer distractions. How do you change your response to all the difficult thoughts and feelings that can come with the wakefulness and that temptation to start wrestling with it again and tossing and turning and dealing with all that difficult stuff? How do you change your approach there? Yeah, and those thoughts don't go away. For me, at least they haven't, right? So I, I still go to sleep at night. And I think if you've had insomnia, like really have had it, man, I don't know if those thoughts ever go away because it's like a very traumatic experience. It, it, so when I go to sleep, I, I still have those thoughts. They still are in my mind saying, I've been laying here five minutes. And, uh, and, but now I, I say, well, so what? I've been laying here five minutes, who cares? And uh, that could turn into an hour. And uh, it's, I still, at this point now, am I, I'm totally fine uh, with, with being awake because I know eventually I'm going to fall asleep. And you will uh, if your thoughts don't create these emotions that trigger all kinds of like chemical responses in your body where now you got adrenaline going on, right? And your sugar levels start spiking and all of this stuff starts happening. Uh, but if you just let those thoughts be, and they still happen for me often, it will be fine. Like you will fall, you fall asleep. And I don't find myself thinking about it very much though, before I get in bed anymore. So like when it's dark and it's eight o'clock, I'm, I'm enjoying my evening with my wife and my son and uh, sometimes I go to bed with my wife. Sometimes I stay up and watch TV. It's no big deal anymore. But when I get in bed, I close my eyes. There's the, the thoughts still happen and, and it's totally okay. And I would say it's okay if those thoughts are happening. That's what I would say to myself if I could. It's totally fine that those thoughts are happening. It doesn't mean anything, but that's not easy when you're going through it. Oh man. Yeah, it, exactly. And it, I'm so glad that you do keep emphasizing that because it's, I think it is, is one thing to say, you know, yeah, I just have to allow these thoughts. But the thing is, we don't want to allow them because they don't feel good. No. But what, again, is going back to what's the alternative? If we don't allow these thoughts to just flow through us, to come and go as they choose, the alternative is to battle with them. Um, what does your own experience tell you there? If your own experience is telling you that that battling isn't really helping, and maybe it's time to experiment with that new approach yeah, and allow the thoughts to come and go, even when they are really difficult. It is so hard to, yeah. I mean, I heard folks say that on these, these, these types of calls and I'm like, wait, that sounds amazing. Like, please, I just want to be that person. Like, I, how are they doing that? How does that just happen? And going back to what I said before, it, it only happened for me when I started to just one night of no sleep, two nights, no sleep, three nights, no sleep, a couple. I didn't care. I went and did what I wanted to do. It was very hard to do it sometimes, uh, but I did it anyways. And so when I started laying in bed and those thoughts would happen, now I could tell myself like, what's it matter? Like tomorrow I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyways. It doesn't really matter. Like I, I don't need to have a sleep tonight. When that's hard to again, say when, when you're sitting on the other side of it, but at the end of the day, if you get up the next day or stay up 
uh, you're, you can go do what you want to do. You can, you can go do whatever you want. You'll probably surprise yourself. And so the, the thoughts lost their steam after that. But when I wasn't living the life I wanted to live, when I was purposely not going out, when I was not seeing my friends, when I wasn't just going to the gym and doing all these things, not flying around, like I, I love traveling and not doing any of that. It really gave all those thoughts power. And so those thoughts become real powerless when you just, who cares? And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this is a process. Absolutely. It is a process. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on that. It was, if you are going to reflect back on when you were really tangled up in the struggle and it felt really difficult to, when you get to a point where it feels like I can live my life independently of this stuff. It's not something that is always on my mind. I'm always trying to troubleshoot. If you had to put an approximate timeline on that process, on that part of the journey, how, how yeah. long would you say roughly that that took? When I uh, really started challenging my thoughts and doing what I wanted to do and, and live the way I wanted, I, I really saw slow progress over the course of maybe three or four months. And so I was constantly having to challenge things. And then it took about six months, uh, for me to start really feeling comfortable about those difficult thoughts. So it was not overnight. And I don't think everyone's timeline is the same. I will say that I, when I, when I listened to some of the things I'm like, well, man, that maybe their situation just wasn't as bad as mine. And, and so I would keep telling myself that. So I wanted to really tell everybody who's going to listen to this, that I was literally in the worst case scenario possible in my mind. Like it was that bad, just knowing who I am, where I was at. And so it took longer for me. It wasn't, it wasn't overnight. And, but I kept at it. I kept doing it and doing it and doing it and just wouldn't let sleep prevent me from doing what I wanted to do. And I took on another job. I got promoted. All these things happened while I was challenging all of the stuff. And yeah, I'm here today because I did that. Yeah. Everyone's timeline is different, but I think the one thing that they all share in common is they're always longer than we want them to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we always want to make that progress really they are longer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's another one of those things we just can't control. Just like we can't control sleep itself. We can't control what goes through our minds. We can't control the timeline. We can only control the implementation, the practice, the exploring a new approach. If our previous or current approach isn't working, that's the only thing we can control is we can control what we're doing on the journey. We can't control when we're going to reach that okay. final outcome. And it often takes longer than we'd like, that's for sure. Yeah. And I'm not a patient guy. So it was really, uh, yeah, it was really working against me because of control, I'm a little bit of a controlling guy, gotten better at that. No patience. Like, I mean, yeah. Did you change your approach in terms of like when you would go to bed at night? Cause I remember at the start of our discussion, you said you started to go to bed a lot earlier at night. Did you, is that one of the things you changed? You started to go to bed either later at night or more closely to when you used to go back to when you used to go to bed before all of this, this struggle appeared. Yeah. I, I, so I had a hard time with it because 
I knew that staying up was the right answer. But when I, when I found myself being awake and I, of course you're the only one awake when you're doing this, right? Your family's sleeping and you want to be in there. And so I had a really hard time with being awake by myself and it would just make me more anxious. And so I would give into that anxiety and just go lay in bed, which would make it even worse. So I would stay up late and then I would go into bed and then I would jump out. And so at first I was going to bed early and then I slowly started like extending my hours. And then that changed over time. Now I, I just go to bed when my wife goes to bed. Cause I, I mean, I moved to California, like I said, and hours changed, right? The time zones changed, all that changed. And, and we still work on East coast timeframes. So I'm starting work and my wife at five 30 in the morning here. And that would have terrified me before. How am I supposed to do that? And now I like getting up early, which I would never have done before, but I actually enjoy getting up early and seeing the sun come up and having a cup of coffee. Whereas when I was really overthinking everything, it was giving me severe anxiety getting up earlier. Um, so yeah, yeah. The sleep times changed for me. And how about responding to the wakefulness with actions during the night? Were you one of those people that found it helpful to get out of bed when your mind was in overdrive or were you one of those people that preferred to stay in bed and just experience the, the thoughts, practice, allowing them to flow and curious what your approach was there? Yeah, I, towards the end, I got a lot better with getting out of bed and I, and I became okay with being awake. And I, when I would get out of bed up first, I would start, I was doing things that were not natural to myself, right? Cause a lot of people just recommend, well, do something boring, right? That's not super engaging. And that's exactly what it was. It was super boring and like doing crossword puzzles or word searches or things like that. I would do tons of those things, but I, that's not something that I enjoyed. So it made my time awake unenjoyable and I was already not enjoying it. And so I start you know, when I wake up now, I would just turn the TV on and, and I, I know the TV, I would always, I bought blue, the blue sunglasses, right. To block out the light from TV thinking, oh man, the lights just allowing my, my serotonin's not working. Right. Because so I started doing all these weird things. I was, I'd be the only person in my house wearing sunglasses at night watching TV. And that obviously didn't help at all, but I was doing it anyways. So I was looking for anything, but then now if I wake up, I just watch TV and, and you know, I'll watch a show and, and then I'll go lay down again and, and see if I fall asleep. And I usually do, but most times I'm, I'm, I'm go to bed with my wife and, uh, I'm sleeping pretty quick. I think really what it comes down to is just that more natural approach, right? There's you move away from the rules and the rituals, whether it's, I have to wear a certain type of glasses or I can't watch TV. We come up with all these rules and rituals for ourselves, even though if we're able to reflect back on a time in our lives when sleep wasn't a concern, will we engage in all those rules and rituals back then? And if not, maybe that tells us something. Yeah. Um, There's always some insights to be gleaned there. And I love, what I really like was the fact you touched upon a few times during our conversation was there are still some difficult nights from time to time. You're not some kind of superhuman that's having a great night of sleep every single night. Now, what's different now? I mean, 
first of all, are you still having some difficult nights from time to time? And if so, what's different in terms of how you respond to them now and the kind of influence they might have over you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, over the course of my life, I've always been an amazing sleeper. And, um, but in reality, I was telling myself that when I was going through this, not remembering that, man, most people don't sleep great every night. And I was not anything out of the normal. I, I had nights where I didn't sleep great, but I totally forgot about that when I was going through it. I was like, I went from zero to nothing or a hundred to nothing here. Today, I would consider myself not having insomnia anymore. That I would absolutely consider. But does that mean I don't have a night once a week where I'm getting three or four hours versus eight? Yeah, that that that, that absolutely can happen. I don't give it any attention now um, because I know and I'm confident like I'm going to sleep great probably the next night. And usually I do, right? I mean, that's just what happens, right? Your body knows when to when to sleep and when not to sleep if you're not trying to play around with it. And so uh, it, it's not abnormal for me to have a rough night. And it's I wouldn't even consider it a rough night anymore. It, I, I would consider it, it's just me laying in bed comfortably. I Maybe I'm just not sleeping. And, and that's totally fine. It's okay for, for me now. And it, it, the bed is now a comfort for me. You know, I enjoy being in there whether I'm awake or not. Whereas before it wasn't. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not like I, you know, all of a sudden I had insomnia and then all of a sudden I'm a perfect sleeper again. That's just not the reality of the situation. And, uh, it could be circumstances. I, something I'm thinking about the next day, right? Things happen in life where you have something really important the next day and, and that can keep you up. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things and explanations as to why maybe you don't have a great night of sleep and that's okay. It's totally normal. I think that's what I finally understood is it's totally normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric, I'm really grateful for the time you've taken out your day to come on and just share your experience and your story and your insights. There's so much great stuff there. I do have one, one last question for you, which is a question that's quite similar to my final question for every guest. So I'm going to ask you the question too, and it's this, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening. And they feel as though they've just tried everything, that they're beyond help, that they'll just never be able to move away from this struggle with sleep, this struggle with insomnia. What would you say to them? I would say that I was absolutely right there where they are right now and absolutely believing that there was no hope for me either. And I say that from the bottom of my heart because it was it's absolutely true. And being here today... I am very grateful for it because uh, I never thought I would be here today, but I would tell anyone who's sitting there listening to this and really having a hard time that to be, you said, kind to yourself and not beat yourself up over it because if you could choose not to be in the situation you're in, you would probably not choose to be there. And so it's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. And to go out and live your life the way you want to live it, no matter how hard it is to just do it and especially do it those nights where it's rough, rough sleep, go out the next day and, and do everything that you planned on doing. If you're, if you're avoiding doing things, go do them and uh, it will be okay. 
it will be okay. You will, you'll convince yourself that it's going to be okay by showing yourself it's going to be okay. All right. I think that's a great note to end on. So thanks again, Eric, for taking the time to come onto the podcast. Yeah. I appreciate your time, Martin. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. You can get started right now by enrolling in my online course or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviors that might be making sleep more difficult, and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way. You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients, or you can choose to add one-on-one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one-on-one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enroll. Anytime you have a question or concern, anytime you're unsure about anything, Anytime you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the phone coaching package, we start with a one hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it. You get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed. And as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.